0: We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode.
1: BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150, then...
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Tuesday, February 6th, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor, BJ Colangelo.
2: Hi, hi, hiya.
0: All right, BJ, before we jump into the episode today, uh, we got an email from a listener uh, named Ronnie from Australia who uh, wrote in, hey, just wanted to share, I just finished listening to your water cooler episode with BJ Colangelo. BJ mentioned introducing John Waters to her friend and also letting us know that Waters is her favorite director. I was wondering if she's had the chance to see the uh, exhibition at the Motion Picture Museum in Los Angeles. My family and I were there. Uh, On holiday in uh, January in the U.S., being a film lover, I had to visit the somewhat new museum. Overall, it's pretty good. Honestly, I felt like there could be more, but that said, it's a work in progress. The John Waters exhibition was great. I'm hit and miss on him, but it was still great and interesting interesting to see all the best from Ronnie. So have you had the chance to see this yet, BJ? I think it's called Pope of Trash.
2: Yeah, so it's the Pope of Trash exhibit. It is at the Academy Museum. Um, It is like just a goldmine for anybody who loves John Waters. Um, There's, you know, things from the movies, there's costumes, there's so, so much information. And because John Waters, as a filmmaker, is such a colorful person, um, it's also such a vibrant exhibit. Um, It's kind of sensory overload uh, a little bit, which I think is really cool. Um, I love it. It's I, I'm not sure how long it is going to be staying, um, but it is uh, it's very cool. <laughs> I just
0: looked it up. It, it's there until August 4th of 2024. So people still have a few more months to, to check it out if you're in the area. Um, okay, so let's get into the actual episode here. Um, let's start out with some sad news of uh, two deaths recently that I thought we should mention at least um, Mark Gustafson, who uh, was the Oscar winning co director of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio died at age 64. Um, he was responsible for, uh, or at least worked on a lot of the claymation sequences for like things like um, the California Raisins and uh, movies like Return to Oz and Fantastic Mr. Fox, in addition to his work on Pinocchio. Um, BJ, I know you're a fan of animation of all kinds. Did you have any thoughts oh. on Gustafson and his passing?
2: I mean, it's it's a tragedy when anybody who makes you know wonderful art dies. Honestly, it's a tragedy when most people die. But... The fact is stop motion as an art form is kind of going away. It's not appreciated in the way that I wish that it was. And so he very much was like a legend of stop motion animation. It's like him and Henry Selleck, like those are like the guys. Um, So losing him is not just sad, Because obviously he was a well-loved person and contributed to so much art that we all love. But also this is a pillar of an art form that, you know, people, people don't do as often. And he was such a, uh, such a master at the craft. And so it's, it's just very sad.
0: Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Like uh, Del Toro um, wrote this series, these series of tweets, this sort of tribute to him that were just, yeah, just sort of like cracked my heart wide open. So uh, I think we embedded those or at least covered those in some way in the the article. So I encourage people to read that uh, slash film if you didn't have a chance to, to just see that on Twitter or whatever. Um, and the other big one, BJ is Carl Weathers died. Uh, I think this was like, technically died on thursday i think we found out about it on friday um 76 years old i mean the star of or one of the stars of rocky and predator and the mandalorian i mean this guy was just like a beacon of light and and that's kind of how he felt to me especially in the this later stage of his career like he seemed to just like uh he seemed to just constantly be beaming as a human being you know like he he had this light that emanated from him um and I mean, he was in so many great things. Like, obviously he's incredible as Apollo Creed. Uh, and I, I really feel like the he's a huge part of the success of the early Rocky movies and why the, that franchise went on to become a huge thing. Because like having somebody who is that uh, charismatic for Stallone to play off of in those movies, I feel like it was essential. And he just did that. He played that role perfectly. Um, and then, you know, he popped up in a bunch of like really great movies, you know, Force 10 from Navarone and like. Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He had a really small role in, but like he he showed up in uh, Action Jackson, which I've never mm-hmm. seen. I've always wanted to check that out. Um, and uh, Happy Gilmore obviously like sort of created like a new lane for him in the comedy space, and then he filled that in later on with uh, appearances on Arrested Development that were like legendary I think so um, yeah just like a, a terrific performer who always like put a smile on my face and and I was always thrilled to see him pop up in anything. Um, did you have any like favorite Carl Weathers performances or anything you wanted to say about him?
2: Oh yeah so I was actually the one who wrote the obituary uh, when he passed for Slash Film and it's always really difficult when you're writing obituaries is hard no matter what but writing it about somebody like Carl Weathers who has such a just massive career and dabbled in so many different genres is really difficult because you know the majority of people yes know him from rocky and predator and you know all of these movies but uh when when he passed i decided to honor him by watching uh yes happy gilmore because uh He's so funny, so, so funny in that movie. Um, but I also went back and I watched Friday Foster, which is a black exploitation film from the 70s of Pam Greer. And it's one of his earliest roles. And it's really interesting to see him in there because it's one of those things where it's like, he just has it and you can see it in this movie that, you know, did not get nearly as much attention as it should have because it's a black exploitation film. And, you know, we live in a white supremacist society and, you know, it's a very low budget movie, but he just he's just got it. And, you know, it, it's really interesting to go and watch that movie and then, you know, watch Happy Gilmore, which is, you know, kind of a, a later in life uh you know, movie for his career Mm -hmm. and be like, nah, he always had it. Like he never didn't have it. He's he's great. He commits to whatever is being thrown at him. And it was really exciting. And you know, the one, the one kindness that I have is that canonically speaking, thanks to little Nikki, at least we know that Heaven has the dopest dance instructor now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, I've never even heard of Friday Foster, but it's streaming right now on Pluto TV. So I'm gonna have to check that out. That sounds great. Um, okay. So I encourage people to to do that too. Um, yeah. RIP Carl Weathers and Mark Gustafson. Um, yeah, we, we lost two big ones. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Big bummer there. Uh, Okay, so I don't really know how to transition out of that. So I'm just going to jump into the next thing, which is uh, there's a spinoff of a new, um, or or I guess a spinoff of the original Evil Dead that is coming from Sam Raimi's Ghost House Pictures. BJ, I know you're a big fan of the Evil Dead franchise. Um, We don't really have a ton of details about what this new movie is going to be. We just know that it's a spinoff, and I don't know exactly what that's meant to imply. I mean, you know, the, the Evil Dead Rise, which came out last year, Kind of like rebooted the franchise, I guess, and and sort of um, took it in a, a slightly different direction with like different characters and didn't really have like a ton of connective tissue to the to what came before in that franchise. So I, I guess. A spin-off means that it's going to be another movie that maybe does the same thing, like but but doesn't really follow the characters that appeared in Evil Dead Rise because you would assume that like maybe you would just make a sequel or something, but that's not really what's happening here. Uh I don't know, any any thoughts on like what this could mean or or um just the idea of a new Evil Dead movie in the works?
2: This is exactly what I've been wanting them to do since Fede Alvarez's remake is that because the original Evil Dead trilogy is So itself, like if you try doing it without Bruce Campbell, then people are upset because why would you do Evil Dead Cabin in the Woods without Bruce Campbell? That just seems silly. And so – in order for these films, I think, to be successful and for people to really, like, give themselves over to it, it needs to do what Evil Dead Rise did, which we know the, the beats of the Necronomicon, we know what Deadites do, we understand their powers, but put them in new situations, and that, I think, makes the Deadites so much scarier because... We've seen from the original Evil Dead trilogy, they can show up in supermarkets, they can show up in, you know, medieval times, um, mm-hmm. having them show up in other places and affecting other people is the way to continue, you know, sprawling this franchise as to something bigger than Cabin in the Woods and Ash Williams, so I'm very, very excited for this. I also think that it it'll be cool to see different directors take their hand at Evil Dead. Of like, what does Evil Dead mean to them? Uh, does it lean more into gore? Does it lean more into comedy? Like, what? I like the idea of using Deadites as a vehicle to just tell a variety of horror stories, and I'm glad that they're finally. Doing this after the success of Evil Dead Rise, but I think it's a long time overdue, personally.
0: Yeah, so Lee Cronin directed Evil Dead Rise, and I, I thought I remembered last year him talking about like being excited to return to, you know, tell more stories in that universe or something. I guess that could conceivably still happen, and maybe he's actually working on, you know, sort of a direct sequel or something like that to that movie. Um, but Seb- Sebastian Vanacek, I think is how you pronounce uh, the director of this newly announced spinoff film. Um, yeah, he's the director. He recently made a French killer spider movie called Infested, which I have not seen yet, um, but I think is supposed to pop up on Shudder at some point this year. So uh, yeah, look out for him. He's definitely like an up and coming talent. So um, I, I'm yeah very curious to see what the, the shape of this thing looks like when they decide what they're doing and, and if they have like a sort of a grand unified plan for what they want to do with the evil dead universe. Cause I, I think you're right. Like the, the expansion that you're talking about, um, definitely seems like it could open it, open things up to, you know, uh, to some more interesting directions. So, um, okay. The, the next thing here is, uh, I think I was talking with Ryan Scott recently about a, a Jurassic world reboot or Jurassic park reboot. I don't know. A, a new movie set in the Jurassic universe, if you want to call it that. Um, which now we know this movie, uh, David Kep is the screenwriter. He That was the story that Ryan and I spoke about a little while ago when that that hire happened. He was the screenwriter of the original Jurassic Park movie. Uh, and now he's been hired to come back to work on a script for this new installment. And uh, the latest on this is that uh, it actually has a release date now. So we're looking at uh, July second, twenty 2025 for this to be coming out, which is surprisingly quick turnaround for a movie that's going to be presumably pretty big. And then the other piece of news attached to that is that uh, Deadpool 2 director David Leach might be directing, like he's sort of in early negotiations to uh, occupy the director's chair of this. So I think I've spoken a little bit about my thoughts on Leech as a director. Um, I don't recall if you and I have talked about him really as a filmmaker, BJ, where do you stand on the movies of David Leach? And what do you think about him potentially directing a new Jurassic movie?
2: So I'm conflicted is how I will say this, is that as a director, like I like Deadpool 2. I think Hobbs and Shaw is way funnier than it has any reason to be, but I don't think that it was intentional. And so I think that he's good at doing that, I don't want that for a Jurassic movie because part of what I've always loved about, you know, the Jurassic movies is that there is a sense of sincerity to what they're doing. And I feel like the movies that, he makes have a little bit too much of like <laughs> isn't this cool mm-hmm. uh, energy to it and i don't want that with jurassic films i want you know the discussions about you know <laughs> humanity uh you know doing things when they shouldn't and how we are the we are the true monsters here like that is what makes it interesting so i was really excited when david Kep was announced as the screenwriter and now i'm like oh well is this just going to be another like action forward that just happens to have dinosaurs rather than something a little bit more introspective and i'm trying not to be pessimistic i try not to be that person but uh, my yeah. my yeah. interest waned kind of immediately
0: yeah i'm on the exact same page i really thought that hiring david Kep was like a return to like a more um cerebral direction for this franchise and and hiring david leach just does not really jive with that in my mind so maybe he'll surprise us and and do something you know to like basically step out of his box a little bit and maybe universal who's worked with him before is just kind of like um considering him as like a steady hand behind the camera and they know that it's somebody who can like actually make a movie of this scale and like you know come in on time and under budget and that kind of deal and like they're maybe this is going to be sort of a launch pad for a new direction for him that's the best that i can think of like kind of a fingers crossed type of situation um but yeah i had the exact same thought and like what does this what is the hiring of david leach signal for the future of the jurassic movies and like i i'm not in love with that (laughs) with that direction if it's just Mm -mm. more the same so um yeah we'll have to wait and see on that uh let's take a break and then we'll come back and uh, talk about a few more news items here
1: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only, new customer offer, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All
0: right, so I don't really have a ton to say about this next thing, which is that um Quentin Tarantino's next film, uh, ostensibly his last movie it's called the movie critic uh, supposed to be starring brad pitt we don't know exactly if he's going to be in the lead role um it's unclear exactly you know what capacity brad pitt's going to be appearing in this thing but we do know that this movie uh, according to tarantino quote is based on a guy who really lived but was never really famous and he used to write movie reviews for a porno rag so uh, yeah, th- I think there was some early talk that maybe this movie was going to be based on the life of Pauline Kale, a, a real life film critic. Um, but evidently that that is not the case. Uh, and so it's unclear if Pitt is actually going to be playing this guy or he's going to be playing a supporting role or whatever. But obviously those guys have a good working relationship. They work together in, in Glorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So uh, both of those are terrific movies as far as I'm concerned. And so I guess I'm excited to see these guys like you know, pair up and, and continue to work together again. Uh, again, like we don't really know. (laughs) There's so much we don't know about this, PJ. It's kind of like hard to have more of an opinion than that, but, uh, do you have anything to add here?
2: Um. all i will say is that when i thought this movie was going to be inspired by pauline kale i was way more interested in it because i think she's a fascinating figure um and then there were rumors after this you know brad pitt announcement that this was going to feel like you know tarantino's taxi driver or whatever and so one i hope that brad pitt is not the critic i hope that brad pitt is i don't know maybe he's this like you know, big porn star that this critic is writing about and they have a conflict like that to me is more interesting. Um, But I also like have zero desire if it really is like a taxi driver movie critic thing, Um, because I'm on the receiving end of taxi driver movie critics on the Internet. I don't need a movie about this. Mm. That is like the least interesting thing. I've ever heard of. Um, so I'm hoping that those rumors are total BS and he's doing something more interesting. But I, I don't know if this is going to be his last film as he claims it is. I feel like he's really going to put some passion into it. And I'm hoping that, you know, just like how the the rumors were about it being Pauline kale that this taxi driver nonsense is also just a rumor because yeah. we don't we don't need this anymore. We're we're done here. We're done here.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've heard some stuff that like maybe he's going to be reimagining the endings to famous movies that came out in like the 70s um which sounds fascinating. and So I'm I'm curious yeah, that'd to see that's cool. <laughs> yeah, what that looks like cuz it would sort of apply the Tarantino thing that he's been doing recently of this like uh historical revisionism or whatever you want to call it um to the like directly to the world of movies um which yeah, I'm, I'm like all all on board for that. So uh, yes, much more to come about the movie critic as that movie begins to uh, take shape here. Um, This next one, I'm I'm excited to talk to you about because I feel like you probably have some strong feelings about this. So uh, there's a remake coming of a 1958 movie called Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, and Tim Burton is going to be directing this, and Gillian Flynn, the author behind Gone Girl... Uh, is going to be writing the screenplay for this, which is just a bizarre pairing to me. But uh, what do you what do you make of this, BJ?
2: Okay, so I love uh, a 50-foot woman, 50-foot cheerleader, kaiju women, giantess women, what have you. I love these movies um, very, very deeply because I think they are a fascinating look at the way that society is both absolutely enamored by and also terrified of women that are bigger than them and that are powerful. Um, I'm a wrestling fan. So of course this is, this fits right in my wheelhouse. Um, I, I'm so confused by this pairing because <laughs> a 50-foot women movie from Tim Burton makes me think like, oh, like Mars Attacks. Like, this is how he should he should approach this. That sounds super fun. But then you have Gillian Flynn jumping in here, and her stuff is a lot more cerebral, and it has a lot of... Uh, a lot of, it's a lot quieter i should say than like a tim burton movie yeah. so i'm so curious as to what this is going to look like I am cautiously optimistic um, because tonally they're so different um, as creatives. And I want to see what this mess looks like.
0: Yeah. And she's like so into, you know, like dark secrets and kind of like, um, you know, interpersonal dynamics and stuff. And that's not really what I think of when I think of Tim Burton. I think of, you know, the visual aesthetic, obviously, is like the thing that he's most known for. Um, But like, his typical visual aesthetic does not really fit in in my eyes with what Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman is, uh, and but like that movie is surprisingly um, more dramatic than you would think because the budget is so small that they didn't really have like a ton of money to do super you know uh, advanced visual effects and stuff back in the day. So it, most of the movie is just like people in rooms talking, um, which I feel like. Maybe if Gillian Flynn can put, you know, some sort of, some sort of interesting spin on that, or maybe update those dynamics for modern times, like maybe there's something there. And, and I just, yeah, I'm I'm so confused by like the aesthetic, uh, that Tim Burton might bring to this because it just does not really match in my mind, but, um,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm curious. And I also like am secretly hoping that Tim Burton is going to be like, we're making miniatures. We're making miniature cities and having just an actress walk through them instead of doing something digital. That would really, really rule. And I think if anyone could get away with making that call, it would be him.
0: Yeah, that'd be interesting. And and speaking of Gillian Flynn, she's also working on uh, an adaptation of uh, Dark Places, which is the, the book that she published Um geez in the early 2000s I think it was or like early 2010s uh and this actually turned into it was turned into a Charlize Theron movie back in 2015 that like nobody saw it was in yeah, the wake sh- sh-
2: sh- sh. don't don't tell people that movie <laughs> exists don't let them seek that out
0: it was in the wake of Gone Girl and so it was like everybody was like wanting to be in the Gillian Flynn business and that movie came out and just like landed with uh not even a thought like a a, a whisper like there was there was no reaction to it, basically. It practically does not exist at all. And so I think that's what h b o is hoping here is that like nobody remembers that that happened because they're they want people to sort of recapture like that sharp objects. Uh, vibe of like that was another one of her adaptations that was an hbo a successful hbo mm-hmm. show um so yeah they're they're just trying to return to that well and saying like hey remember that other movie let's just sweep that under the rug here <laughs> and uh re- let's make the hbo show like the the real uh sort of definitive adaptation of that work so uh just something to note there something to keep in mind if you're a, a gillian Flynn fan looking forward to projects that she's working on um lastly speaking of tim burton Beetlejuice 2 has an official title, BJ. Uh, It it is Beetlejuice Beetlejuice. uh, Oh, it's perfect. (laughs) as a a teaser poster, uh, that was revealed, I think last week, um, finally, uh, unveiled to us and then confirmed to us. So, uh, 35 years after the original Beetlejuice, now we're getting Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, which is just kind of like, on one hand, I find it a little obnoxious that that's how we're going to have to refer to it. But like, on the other hand, I kind of have to respect it. Like (laughs) making people refer to that movie as that, you know, there's like a kind of like poking you in the eye kind of factor to it that I'm like, ah, game recognized game. Like, I got to I got to give it up to you a little bit. But uh, you said it was perfect. What do you think about this?
2: Oh, yeah, it's perfect. Like, this is the most perfect title for it. I also just I I don't like when people add just random numbers into it. Like, if you're going to do it, get more creative. And Beetlejuice Beetlejuice is very, very creative. And the fact that the poster reveal was the hands sitting in the waiting room with the very very long uh slew of numbers with the date hidden in there I was like this is genius like this is such a great way to do a throwback to you know the movie that we all love while also pointing out the fact that yes this has been 35 years we've been waiting a very long time for this and it just it excites me um it excites me a whole lot and I also weirdly enjoyed that the poster like the way that it's designed. It reminds me a lot of Beetlejuice the musical and not just Beetlejuice the movie. So, <laughs> you know, I'm very curious to see what kind of energy they're going to be bringing into this new movie, but uh, it very I, I very much have high hopes on this one. It feels like everybody understood the assignment and that it's not going to be totally corrupted uh by modernization. So
0: BJ you're like you've talked to me about your interest in TikTok and how you're on TikTok. I am not uh and and I feel like you are um you know more tapped into what's going on with the youngs out there, the younger younger generation <laughs> you and all that. Yeah. Um so do you think Beetlejuice has like a um I don't know, a, a cultural footprint beyond like uh, I guess to a to, to the generation below millennials and and beyond that like for a for a movie like this um it's got to have a pretty big reach to be like a a massive sort of breakout success and i'm thinking of something like you know you've got top gun maverick on one hand and then you've got the flash on the other hand where the flash was like another michael keaton project resurrecting you know a famous michael keaton role and it was decades and decades later and uh, nobody really seemed to care very much versus Top Gun Maverick, which was a, the same kind of thing, and that one worked like Gangbusters. So, like, what do you think the the odds are of this movie connecting? And do you, have you seen, you know, in your TikTok adventures, any reaction or, or proof that like? this movie has uh, a core audience in Gen Z or whatever.
2: So there are a handful of things working to its benefit. Uh, One, uh, Beetlejuice is a seminal film for weirdos. Um, It follows under the same umbrella as a lot of the edgier films from the 80s and 90s, like The Craft, um, that younger people continue to rediscover over and over again because they don't make a lot of movies that are intentionally like hey kids do you like to shop at hot topic here's a movie for you Mm -hmm. um so it has longevity but the things that are working the most to its benefit is that one Catherine O'Hara um was on Schitt's Creek which is a show that is incredibly popular for younger people um whereas Michael Keaton was doing really acclaimed things like dope sick but like 17 year olds aren't tuning in to watch like a serious drama about the pharmaceutical corruption industry yeah. uh, but they're going to watch Shit's Creek and they're going to fall in love with Catherine O'Hara the other big thing is obviously Jenna Ortega is in this and they really love Wednesday and Tim Burton did Wednesday so this is a new way for them to be familiar with his work with his style his aesthetic and it has you know one of the biggest young stars so if anything those two actors are going to draw them in more than Michael Keaton will which is kind of a shocking thing to think about but that's the world we live in but the thing that's making me the most excited is that last night um the AMC and Regal theaters did their like secret scary movie uh night and it was Lisa Frankenstein it was an early screening of Lisa Frankenstein now I've seen Lisa Frankenstein my review does not come out until later this week but Lisa Frankenstein has such Tim Burton, like late eighties, early nineties energy. And a lot of Gen Z kids are really into that movie. So I think tonally they're going to get Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. And I think they're really going to resonate with it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that as like a a modern touch point or something for them. Um, But yeah, that's cool. Uh, I mean, that's, that's always a good thing. So uh, yeah, very curious to see like what the wider reaction is. And I wonder if like, if we're going to get a trailer at the Super Bowl or something like that, this, this coming Sunday, yeah, that, poster that, sounds, just came
2: out. that sounds like something that would be beneficial. I mean, and also we have to remember Winona writers on stranger things. Like there are so many people from Beetlejuice that are continuing to stay relevant with younger audiences and still playing in genre playgrounds. So like it, I'm sad that it took this long, but I think this was a really smart choice to do it now.
0: Yeah, very true. Okay, well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. I will link to a bunch of them in the show notes directly. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link to do that in the show notes as well. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That does help us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.
1: BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150, then